Mailbag episode. I'm Gabby Dunn. This week's Wednesday episode was about scams with Scam Goddess podcast host Lacey Mosley and YouTuber Amy Ordman. It was so fun. It was such a roller coaster. Two really amazing guests and a story about a scam I pulled and a story about Amy getting scammed. And also, Lacey is an expert on scams. It's just an all around super fun episode. On today's show, we're going to cover an email about a financially struggling vegan, one about animal oppression, Discord comments. Our vegan episode was very controversial. You can listen to it. It was with Christopher Soul Eubanks and Andrew Lau. I'm going to get into all of your thoughts and feelings on that. In the second half of the show, I'm going to read an email about endometriosis, financial advisor scams, disability, charity scams, and a few other emails. You guys really sent in a lot of emails this week. Plus, I have an ask for you. So stay tuned to the end because I'm going to ask you guys for something. Let's just get into the most intense email first. So this email says, Hi, Gabby. Thanks so much for your recent episode about veganism. I found both of your guests super informative and I appreciated everyone's openness to all sides. A lot of vegans I know are similar to your guests in that they're passionate but very inviting and much like your show, not at all condescending. I'm not really sure why vegans get such a bad reputation, to be honest. I sort of think that the bad reputation is not based on very much reality. People just like to make fun of vegans. They're an easy target. I have a concern that the letter you read about carnism will wind up getting all the follow-up attention instead of the actual episode and the interesting, thoughtful viewpoints of your brilliant guests. Even your reaction to that letter, which was admittedly charming AF, felt a bit like you were setting up your progressive listeners like me to be all hateful about veganism and to ignore the actual issues presented by your guests. So there was an actual episode about veganism and then there was a letter I read about something called carnism that was in the Friday episode. So the email continues. The letter you read hit on some real hot button words, racism and misogyny. And though I doubt this was the intention of the letter writer, I am of the mindset that even vague comparisons, in this case, carnism to racism, overshadow the real discussion we should be having, whether in this day and age it is okay to consume animal products and byproducts. The subject makes so many people defensive. And I feel that a lot of folks wait for the second they can jump in with a gotcha argument, such as being angry that your letter writer compared carnism to racism and sexism. I really wish they hadn't done that, and though I am familiar with carnism as a concept, I am personally not a fan of using it in any conversation ever. It's basically academic jargon that, in my opinion, sidesteps the very real, simple conversation we should be having, whether or not it's in alignment with our personal ethics to consume animals. I'm already feeling frustrated in advance by the letters I anticipate you will get in response to that letter. I really wish we could focus on the animals just for this conversation. But if we can't focus on them, then I think we should focus on the inhumane conditions of the workers, the vast majority of whom are people of color and immigrants, who are responsible for the very dangerous and nauseating job of killing beings. If we can't focus on those beings, maybe we can focus on issues of world hunger, which, though very complex, are at least partly due to the amount of land used to grow and feed animals. For those of us who know this and try our best to consume humane or grass-fed meat, we should look at that. There is the elitism, not in veganism. Why? Because the only way our planet could feed the world animals is through a very efficient process of factory farming. Once you start paying more for animals to have a bit more space, you're creating a system where the rich eat animals and the poor eat nothing. 
None of these arguments have to do with the animals themselves, but I'm not sure our society will ever be able to wrap our heads around animal sentience. The stakes, bad pun intended, are too high. And that, in my opinion, is one of the saddest parts of humanity today, along with, not compared to, racism and transphobia. There was also one point in your original You Should Go Vegan episode that I want to address that Christopher didn't. You mentioned at one point something along the lines of, what if someone just had one cow in their backyard? Christopher's response went right into the philosophy of eating animals and how fundamentally he believes they are not here for our use. Valid, noble point, and I don't disagree. But there's a very clear, specific response to your question. It is not possible to have one cow, so your hypothetical doesn't really land. The cow would need to be kept pregnant repeatedly in order to give you milk, so you'd need a steer. You'd need to forcibly extract that steer's semen in order to impregnate that cow. That cow would give birth to multiple calves, and since the milk the cow makes is for them, just like ours is for our babies, the calves would need to be removed from their mother. And what would happen to them in this hypothetical? In animal agriculture, the boys would likely become veal cows and the girls would likely become dairy cows. I won't get into the fact that when any animal, human or non, has their babies removed from them, it is incredibly traumatic. But let's overlook all of this for a minute. If you still have that backyard cow, what would happen when she is no longer able to produce milk? Just like humans who have similar reproductive parts, that cow would get to the point where she can't make milk. At sanctuaries, cows live for more than 20 years sometimes, so you'd have a pet cow at that point, probably for many years. In animal agriculture, she would then be slaughtered for cheap meat, such as dog food. What would you do with that backyard cow? If you wanted to keep her, it would be extremely expensive between food and vet care, and good luck finding a vet who knows how to care for an elder cow. But let's say you decide to keep her anyway. Just like with humane meat, you're creating a system where you can keep a cow in your backyard, but that is not a sustainable system for the billions of people who don't have that kind of land or resources. Hence factory farming. Hence exploiting people of color to do the dirty work for us. I want to interrupt this email for a brief second and point to our fast fashion episode, which also talks about how people of color are often the ones exploited. So if you have any interest in this whole conversation, the fast fashion episode also has this kind of conversation, but within a different industry. So anyway, back to the email. I didn't really mean to go there. Sorry, I sound like such a vegan, but it was really hard listening to your extremely heightened reaction to your listener's letter about carnism. Fuck carnism, really. Fuck the occasional vegan who has not figured out effective messaging and fuck me if that includes me. (laughs) It's not about any of us. It's about the animals, the disenfranchised workers, the hurting planet and the lack of caring that humankind has decided is normal. I wasn't always vegan and I know I'm extremely imperfect at many things, including veganism. The point is not to let perfect be the enemy of good. The point is to move more and more towards embracing plant-based as much as possible for a variety of reasons. At the center of those reasons are the animals and the people we pay poorly to kill them. And if your cause is something else, I applaud that and support that. I myself am LGBTQ and work hard on LGBTQ and anti-racism issues. But we can be vegan and make more and more vegan choices while we fight for social justice causes. Like Angela Davis, Cesar Chavez, like so many other great activists and changemakers, These issues can, and in my opinion should, go hand in hand. Last thing I swear, black veganism is the fastest growing sector of veganism. There are literally thousands of mainstream articles, so many in the New York Times alone, that I can send you discussing that, but just Google black veganism and you'll see what I mean. My strong suspicion is that if people looked openly and honestly at what they're supporting every time they bite into a burger, they'd put it down. With so much respect, Bernadette. I love that email, and I'm glad that this is an email that we got in response to the Carnism email. Bernadette's email and Bernadette's worry about the emails that were incoming show that I'm glad that I read that Carnism email because 
it did lead to this email from Bernadette. Okay, this is an email from Clay, and it says, Howdy, Gabby. This is Clay. Any pronouns in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma? I've been following you since I saw your work on BuzzFeed as a teenager and quickly moved to your other content over the years, but it took me way too long to realize you had this podcast. I finally found it earlier this year and have been binging and also playing new episodes the day they come out as often as I can. Thank you doesn't even begin to sum up my gratitude for the work you do. And I know so many feel the same way. Well, thank you. As a financially struggling vegan in an area that is definitely not super vegan friendly, I have to say I was extremely excited for the vegan episode and a tad bit let down. Just a bit. I appreciated the guest speakers and what they had to say, especially Christopher Soul Eubanks. They both had some great information about opinions, and I love how you opened up for discussions in your mind and other people's. However, I wondered if there are any more vegan and animal rights activists you'd be willing to speak to on the show. Perhaps some that are even better informed. I really enjoyed your questioning and thoughts, but I think if you were to do another episode, you could go much further or in multiple specific directions. Some things I really wish that were mentioned are the fact that veganism is statistically more common amongst black people in the U.S. than it is white people, with up to 8% of black Americans being vegetarian or vegan for a variety of reasons. Christopher also touched on this kind of racial dynamic with animal exploitation by highlighting the colonization of animal agriculture. However, he then went on to mention how he gives his investments to companies that align with his vegan ethics and mentioned how Tesla is one of those companies. I don't really want to get into all the reasons I think giving money to Musky Man is a bad idea, but he was in the news this year after 15 of 23 monkeys died during Neuralink animal testing, so I'd hardly consider any of his business interests vegan personally. Yes, Clay, that did stick out to me. I wanted to keep it in uh, because Christopher said it, but yeah, I, I also felt weird about that. Another thing was when you asked Andrew Lau about how being vegan can be bad for the environment. Boy, oh boy, me, oh my. I wish Andrew had some answers ready for that one. Veganism is riddled with problems still and oftentimes still doesn't take into account human exploitation. Personally, I myself identify as a freegan, and I would identify that as a vegan who seeks to seize the means of production from capitalism and give it back to the people, removing animal products from the process, but ensuring even animal products get used instead of going to waste in the meantime. Here are just some of the ways veganism can be bad for the environment. Many crops are pollinated by honeybees that are specifically used to pollinate those crops. Some things, like almonds, especially almond milk, take a lot of water to produce, even if it's still less than dairy milk. Palm oil, deforestation, human rights violations is a huge ingredient in many vegan foods. Cocoa and cacao, as well, are popular, and even with both of those ingredients having fair trade associations, plenty of those companies are actually still contributing to human rights violations and unfair trade and child labor, and continuing to run ecological habitats for animals like orangutans. This is similar to how many beauty companies are labeled as cruelty-free, but the term is not legally defined or required to carry any specific meaning, so many of these companies still import and sell in companies like China where their products are tested on animals. I know this is a long email. Listen, has a vegan ever sent a short email? I'm just kidding. I know this is a long email, but my last topic I wanted to cover was the discourse. The vegans have discourse. I joined the R Vegan subreddit because I no longer have Facebook or Instagram or Twitter these days. There are a lot of varied takes and some of them are really bad. Many of them are just different opinions, though. One thing I see routinely is the comparison of animal exploitation and cruelty to the Holocaust and black American slavery. Like I'm talking direct comparisons, even when not remotely related to the topic at hand. And I have tried to retort how that is not okay or helping the movement at all, along with a few silenced and downvoted vegans who said they were black and had been trying to speak up in the subreddit, but were getting downvoted. 
Plus, many black vegans in this country have mentioned they feel alienated by this kind of co-opting of their experiences, often not joining predominantly white vegan spaces, which explains why Christopher discussed this in the episode. From what I can tell during research online, black and POC vegans often have to make their own communities because the ones that already exist are dominated by white people who, surprise, are sometimes racist. There is also the issue of sexual assault survivors often having to deal with triggering language and exposure within the movement. So a lot of times it feels as though white vegans and vegan men or privileged vegans in general are just not listening to the marginalized within their own movement. Many of them view vegan animal rights as separate from human rights issues entirely, which if humans are animals too, then I definitely don't agree with that. And using the trauma porn of watching Dominion or Cowspiracy three times a year as a way to pat themselves on the back while they alienate the marginalized and compare the animals to black slaves or Jewish Holocaust victims or other human discrimination. And while the animals are slaves and victims, I think these kind of attitudes are dominating the vegan spaces because white people dominate those spaces. Because unfortunately, we white people have to dominate everything. I really hope that changes soon and we start listening to black vegans more and other vegans who are marginalized, because I think it's obvious that listening to these humans will give us the most insight on how to move veganism forward and open the movement up to more and more people. Finally, I want to say that being vegan while broke isn't really that hard, even in Oklahoma. You just have to learn how to cook and bake. That's really all it is. You trade ready-made meals and fast food with cooking and baking vegan meals, and eating out is basically the same. But I make my food and meals stretch further now and find a lot more joy in it than I did before I was vegan. And even though it takes a lot of energy to make the food, I feel so much better in more ways than one. The real issue is accessibility, and also we need much better food education in the U.S. However, that is also hampered by lobbying and subsidies for the animal industries, so we'll see when that happens. Feel free to read as much or as little of this email as you want. Or none at all. Haha, <laughs> thanks, Gabby. Love you. Also wanted to tell you that your voice sounds so lovely. My voice? Yes, that's what I took from that long email. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Clay. And thank you so much for Bernadette for these emails. I really, really appreciate it. Okay, this is an email from Marty. It's a lot shorter, but it is also about veganism. Hi, Gabby. Just wanted to share a few thoughts about the complicated question of animal oppression. I study politics, so I have felt the urge to shout at people about the interconnectedness of oppression and the need for oppressed people from different minorities to band under the same flag in order to become a majority and make a change. That would be especially effective since there is evidence that the FBI has been consistently trying to antagonize activists and protesters from different causes, especially during the 1960s, to prevent them from making a systemic instead of societal change. Oh, they've been doing that way longer than the 60s, Marty. Anyway, back to the email. And that would be especially useful in connection to the universal oppression of animals in the exploitative capitalist hellscape that is the world, that does ignore the context in comparing animal to human oppression. White people, and especially Western white folks, are very quick to sympathize with animals, which often comes before people of different races, religions, and nationalities. I am from Eastern Europe, and the war in Ukraine has been a very sensitive topic for me, in both the sense of the existential threat of a big neighbor being so brazenly negligent to autonomy, and in the sense that all the bomb schools look like the ones I studied in, with the characteristic Soviet architecture, the grandmas that are interviewed wearing the same headscarves my grandma used to wear, and so on. And while only writing this makes me tear up, when I shared my fears with one of my English flatmates, he disregarded it, saying people often make choices that deserve retribution, but he was concerned for the cats and dogs that were left in Ukraine. 
I often have to talk my animal-loving friends off the same ledge when they equate racism or domestic abuse to animal abuse. While animals are innocent, in the imaginary binary the human mind constructs between innocence and guilt based on shifting morals that determine the value of a being, for some people that often plays on the slippery slope of othering people that don't look like or feel like them and equating their worth to pets or barn animals. While it is important to bring animal consumption and treatment into the larger conversation of systemic abuse, equating that to human oppression has the same vibe as the anti vaxxers claiming to be as oppressed as holocaust survivors in the sense that it is tone deaf and ignorant of the context in which the claim is made some people find tone deaf to be an ableist term just fyi no shade against you marty just saying okay as is the case with many political analyses and opinions though it can be infuriating to try and convince ignorant people that beings are suffering right under their noses so a comparison with a more universally understood oppression could seem desirable but it only alienates other activists from trying to help and brings forward a legacy of harmful stereotypes and prejudice that changes the conversation Sorry for the long email, but it does sometimes feel exhausting to try and convince people the rhetoric they use can be extremely harmful and dehumanizing, literally in this case, LOL. And that can be easily exploited by people who want to weaponize the political message against others. Best wishes, Marty. Yes, so I think Marty's email is something that Bernadette was worried about. Um, And I agree that it is interesting to see who stands up for animals and who stands up for people. And they don't have to be mutually exclusive at all, by the way. Okay, next up, I'm going to read some more emails and then ask something of you guys and then welcome our patrons. So this is an email from Deirdre and it says, Hi, Gabby. This email is for Layla, whose email you read this week on the mailbag episode. As a fellow endo warrior, I wish I had financial resources to suggest, but I'm writing in because based on the brief description of Layla's treatment, I'm pretty sure she is not getting the best care for her endo and wanted to suggest some resources. That many surgeries plus or Lissa suggest she is not getting treated by an excision specialist. Oh, I don't know that much about this, but I'm interested. There is a lot of information in the Facebook group Nancy's Nook as well as the website endopedia.info about best practices for endo treatment. And I hope you will share this with Layla so she can find doctors who know what they're doing because it sounds like hers do not. Again, I, Gabby Dunn, am not a doctor. I'm just reading this email. As a PhD candidate doing research on chronic illness inspired by my own endometriosis and other chronic illnesses, I wish Layla all the best in her journey. Financially, honestly, my opinion has been to just keep going back to school so my loans defer because I'm a student. This isn't great long term, but it has kept me from having to worry about them yet. Deirdre. Uh, Yes, Deirdre is responding to an email from Layla about student loans and chronic illness, which was in a former mailbag episode that you can listen to, I think, from last week. Here is an email from Paige. Hi, Gabby. Thanks for your work and your podcast. I'm constantly learning from you and your guests and learn lots from your Bad With Money book as well. Yes, Bad With Money book available now. I wanted to ask if you could look into financial advisors. My partner's parents have decided to give us a large sum of money next year, and I'm a bit freaked out because I don't know what to do with the money. I try and be informed about investing money, but I'm so scared of f***ing up that I just put everything into basic savings accounts. I know, not ideal. Basically, are advisors just scams? How do I find one I can trust, and are they worth the money? Page. Well, you have to look into if they're a fiduciary. So make sure they are a fiduciary. You can look that up on anyone you hire. Um, And yes, we're going to do an episode about finding a financial advisor. I think, as I've always said, finding someone who is in your similar age bracket and similar life demographic is really helpful. Um, If you're a woman, finding a woman advisor. Um, If you're a queer person, finding a queer advisor. But yes, we're going to do a real 
episode about this soon, I promise. Okay, this is an email from Alex, and it says, I've been working for almost a year while living at home, so I've racked up some savings. I've been getting all this unsolicited financial advice, but nobody is like helping me with the ethical and long-term conflicts that come up with that. Well, sounds like you and Paige should talk. On one hand, it's an adaptation thing. Is my money going to matter in a decade or two? The financial system is either going to get drastically reformed or collapse. We're staring ecological and societal collapse in the face while we're at it. Like, will retirement even be a thing if and when I get to that age? Will money as we know it? Second of all, I come from a lot of financial privilege. To be able to invest or whatever is unheard of for most of the world. So would I just be feeding into a f***ed up system? Should I just set aside a portion of my income to redistribute? Has anyone put thought into these issues that just won't gaslight me? P.S. I've just started listening to your podcast, so if you have some episode recs instead of a full-blown response, that would be totally fine. In addition... Also, I know the instability of the financial system is even more of a reason not to keep all my eggs in one basket. But what if I want to invest in the community instead of corporations who are like ruining everything? Is that not smart? Alex, I think about this all the time. Uh, We just did an episode about ESGs, which might be helpful to you. We did an episode a long time ago uh, with Sally Krawcheck about a company called Elevest. Um, We've done a bunch of investing episodes and we've done some retirement episodes, too, if you just look into investing or retirement in the the titles of the episodes. But um, yes, this is incredibly confusing, especially because climate change makes me think that there will not be a world in the future. But I also don't think that's a reason to not try to take care of yourself in the present day. But I do agree. I feel that nihilism as well. Okay, here's an email about scams. Hi, Gabby. I guess you can call me D. Longtime listener, first time mailbagger. Scams, gotta love them. So I get attempted scams through my work every now and then. Someone emailing everyone on staff pretending to be the executive director and asking us to perform a task. First time I didn't really pay attention. Got into correspondence. They were asking me to go buy gift cards. Took me a little bit, but I noticed things were off. My boss's office is right across the lobby from mine. We're a small nonprofit, so he could just ask me in person. Then I noticed the email was not his staff email. We still get emails like that on occasion, but I ignore them now. Sadly, our office is stuck with another scam. One of our extensions is being used by someone to call people. When the number is looked up, it comes up as our number. So I occasionally get a voicemail like, why did you call me? So yeah, spoofing is a pain in the butt. Oh, also, also, scams got me so paranoid, I got an email from Provincial Student Assistance, hello from Canada, claiming I had received a loan forgiveness award, and now I was skeptical because this was three years after I graduated and the loan in question had already been paid off. I had to call the office directly, ask them about the email, and ask about the person to confirm it was legit. Glad I did because $10,000 got shoved right into an RRSP. Booyah! Anyways, keep up the fabulous show. Just wanted to share my scamming stories. D. Gotta love Canada, you guys. Gotta love Canada. Okay, I think that's enough for this week. We really had a lot of emails and these were just the emails. I didn't even get to the comments. So let's cut it off and we'll save the rest for next week. And maybe I'll also tell my Stephen Colbert story next week. So to close it out, welcome to our patrons, Red Rose White and Jennifer Brady. You can follow us at patreon.com slash Gabby Dunn. And here is my ask. Are you ready? We're going to do an episode with all of your stories about pets, um, pet insurance, spending on pets, vet bills. So please write in with any story you have about spending money on a pet, uh, about your experiences with pet insurance, about your experiences with vet bills. Please, please write in, leave a voicemail, leave an email. We're going to do a whole episode about pets. 
So I would love to hear from you. Be sure to send the email to GabbyIsBadWithMoney at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. You can also email me a voice memo if you prefer. Join our online communities too. We're on Instagram, Discord, TikTok, Patreon, and Facebook. Links to all of these will be listed in the episode description. Don't forget to listen to the show the day it drops so we can get on the charts and spread the word. Thank you. Bye. Done.